Hello and welcome to The Rabbit Hole, the definitive developer's podcast, live from the Boogie Down Bronx. I'm your host, Michael Nunez, our co-host today. Dave Anderson. And our producer. William Jeffries. And today, it's the battle of the decade, Kubernetes versus serverless. Which side will you choose? Oh my God, so many buzzy bees. Oh yeah. So many <laughs> buzzy bees. Which decade are we in? It's 20, are we in the 20s? 20, this is the 22nd century. The 20th yeah, century is it? going down right now. <laughs> Kubernetes versus serverless. We'll explore some of the things that uh, the benefits of Kubes and the benefits of the serverless. I call it Kube. What is it like? People, the cool kids call it K8s because there's eight let characters in between K and S. Is that like the thing? Oh, is that like uh, Kates? Cater boy. Yeah, cater boy. There you go. Like skater boy. <laughs> See you later, boy. Yeah, that's that's like uh, we learned about internationalization and accessibility, right? A11. Why? Yeah, A11, I18N. That's the one. That's how I know that one. Like, <laughs> Kubernetes tries to be cool, and it's like, oh, K8S. All right, whatever. You got right. it. Right. It's like elevated to the same level as like. The, those basic needs of accessibility internationalization you gotta get the kubernetes you gotta get that helmsman in your application steering you to success for your infrastructure which you know it, we we got some episodes 104 104 steering to kubernetes migration oh man so william you mentioned before in time that you've had worked in Kubernetes, working with Kubernetes on a, a small project, yeah? Yeah. So I had worked with Kubernetes for clients with bigger deployments where it made more sense to use Kubernetes. And then mm-hmm. I was like, I'm going to use this on my tiny side project, which has no traffic. Mm-hmm. And that turned out to be a huge mistake because I started getting hit with these massive server bells. <laughs> oh, like, no. What? I don't have any users. Why am I paying over all these servers? <laughs> I was on GCP and using their Kubernetes offering. And it just comes with a whole bunch of extra infrastructure. And when I went to shut it down, this was the worst part. Is that like I shut every I thought I shut everything down and then I came back several weeks later with even more server builds because I had somehow there was like a some static IP addresses that I was required to set up in order to get the Kubernetes platform offering to run. And those aren't like a turn off and turn on thing. You have to like go and release them in the separate section of GCP. Like you have to turn on, you have to turn on more things in order to turn it off or. It was like, there's a section in the GCP dashboard where you can go to like shut down all of the infrastructure relating to your GCP deployment. And for right. whatever reason, they don't put the static IP addresses that you're required to reserve in that section. So I had shut everything down and I thought everything was off. And it turned out that there's another section of GCP where I had these static IP addresses still reserved. That's that's how Google's get your money. It's not it's not the big business. It's all the side projects. <laughs> they just get all the static IPs, just milking it, taking your five dollars or ten dollars or whatever. 
Yeah, so I switched to serverless. And well, did you use uh, what what platform? Was it also GCP or did you use AWS? AWS. It seems like the ecosystem is not really that robust yet for serverless on GCP, unfortunately. It's just like hard to find documentation to get it set up. And I figured why fight the river? Is that another Kubernetes reference with the oarsman? <laughs> I thought that using the uh, serverless framework would potentially make it a little bit easier to use um, other platforms outside of AWS. Like you're you're able to use different providers, and I think uh, GCP is one of them. But the last project that I worked on was a AWS serverless uh, project, and it was pretty pretty cool to work on that. I imagine, uh, William, that for your side project, you saved a lot of money on when you switched over to serverless. Yeah, it's free so far. Yeah, so it's free for like the first million functions that run or something like that? Or like the two million. Two yeah. million functions free. Which is insane. So like, like if, if you, you have, have a function you, calls, we should say. Right. So if you have like a, a pet project that you're the only user and you're hitting these functions, you you don't get billed or dinged for your server costs, which is great. Uh, I'm going to pull up the actual prices because I think that being able to say those numbers are kind of ridiculous. If you search for Amazon serverless prices, the paragraph is the monthly compute price is 0.00001667 per gigabyte and the free tier provides 400,000 gigabytes. The monthly request price is 20 cents per 1 million requests. And the free tier provides 1 million requests per month. So if you are your only user in this pet project, you'd have to hit that bad boy 1 million times to pay 20 cents, which is insane. How many, how many times did you, did you make any requests when you were using the Kubernetes uh, infrastructure in your pet project? I'm sure it wasn't a million, William. No, it was probably fucking less than 100. <laughs> less than 100. Just 100. On the order of hundreds. Right. Just 100. Not even 100,000 or none of that. So one of the benefits, I guess, you know, we should share of serverless is that it is like dirt cheap to get a pet project started. It's, and it's a really cool way to just like write your functions and deploy them and then you have access to them and you... You know, if it if it just has to do uh, pretty small computations, like serverless is definitely the way to go for stuff like that. So, is Kubernetes dead? I don't know about whether we need to kill it. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. You tell you you tell me. I mean, your <laughs> your pockets felt the the brunt of it on a pet project, but like a lot of the clients that we work with, they're still you know using Kubernetes. I imagine that they want. They want to be able to spin up their servers that will ensure that they are running 100% of the time and can able to self-heal if things go awry or bad. I'm sure that Kubernetes does have its benefits that I definitely need to do some more research on. I'm sure William or Dave, you guys have more context on the kubes. Yeah, I think that Kubernetes is still a better fit for really big projects that have complex infrastructure. I think that 
it seems like serverless still has a lot of limitations. And also, I think at scale, it works out to be cheaper to do Kubernetes. My issue is that I don't have any traffic. If you have a large volume of traffic, as long as it's not super spiky, then I think it works out to be cheaper to just spin up your own machines. And you have so much more control when you use Kubernetes or, or you know, whatever container orchestration tool you want. Or even not using a container orchestration tool, but just using your own infrastructure, your own dedicated infrastructure. You have much more control over like how many instances you're going to have spun up and like you can still do auto scaling if you're worried about paying too much for servers. Right. So like if you're starting a pet project and you know, you're figuring out the, whether the user base is going to, you know, latch on and you have a project, it's good to start maybe on the serverless front and then migrate over to Kubernetes when you find that you have that traffic coming in for your application? Is that uh, safe to say? That makes sense to me. I think we mentioned one of the cons for serverless is that it can, if the functions are computation heavy, you may end up paying a lot more in the long run, depending on how many users you have or how long these functions need to run. I know that serverless has some limitations where things can't run longer than 15 seconds, I believe it's, it is. There's many other limitations that one should definitely do research for those limitations. But you don't have to worry about that if you're working on uh, your own Kubernetes infrastructure. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's kind of interesting because like we're talking about like the kind of load that you have that you're expecting. Like obvi- obviously, like if you have serverless, then it's pretty optimized for like short and like sporadic loads like loads that aren't necessarily even one way or the other maybe it's like kind of spotty like sometimes it's really heavy sometimes it's not at all there whereas like kubernetes and traditional container orchestration is kind of better suited to a load that's uh has some some baseline level like you're always going to be having something on and uh, you'll be controlling it and you'll be able to like spin up and spin down as, as needed. But there's also something to be said does for the, like... Does the like, serverless framework support multi-cloud? That like, I think would be really interesting if you could like allocate your traffic to whichever uh, cloud hosting provider has the cheapest like Lambda function calls at the time. I don't know if they're going to do a spot market for Lambda function calls. With like bidding wars and stuff like that. I've I've definitely seen like bidding wars kind of. I've I've heard of tools that will help you do that for like large loads for distributed computing like machine learning where you're like, okay, like I'm only going to run this if you will let me pay this rate. You know, over time, and otherwise, like you know, I don't really care. Like, I'll I'll like let it run for longer on a more expensive machine because I I just don't want to pay the higher rate to get it done quicker. I'm I keep hoping that multi cloud is going to become a thing just so that there's more competition and incentive for the 
cloud hosting providers to lower costs, compete on price. It's also different tech as well. Like, um, I mean, a quick Google of serverless framework, multi-cloud, yield a, a blog post about the ability to, or like the thoughts behind doing uh, multi-cloud related uh, computations. Like, for example, if you want like to do some machine learning related process, like you may want to run those pieces of, of information on the GCP on the Google platform, as opposed to like Amazon, if you feel that, you know, Google has a better machine learning algorithm uh, than Amazon. But then like for other things, you could potentially point it to other serverless framework related applications, say Azure. I know Azure is another one that people often use for their functions as a service and maybe like the cost, the calculating which costs will cost less or which functions will cost less is probably the thing that people are trying to do with this multi, multi-cloud functionality within the serverless framework. It seems fairly new, though. I'm not 100% sure whether like the serverless framework does it, but it appears that there may be some multi-cloud solutions that use uh, GCP or AWS uh, Lambdas or Microsoft Azure to, I guess, arbitrage which price point is the least and then make the functions then and there. Yeah, I think IBM also has uh, an equivalent of AWS Lambda now. I think they're getting into the space. Everybody get in here. Gotta get in here. More options. Yeah. More, more, more functions. More fast. More fast. More fast. More functions as a service. Options. Multi-cloud means it's like that. Multi-cloud is like that uh old XKCD cartoon where like it's like why are there all these competing standards? Why can't there just be one unifying standard? And then there's just one more competing standard. And there's 17 new standards. Great. Good. I mean it's a, it's an interesting challenge that that you know we're talking about is like through the lens of like just like starting something, right? Like getting something off the ground and going. Like cost is one aspect that Kubernetes might fall down versus serverless. Complexity is another thing that like Kubernetes has a bit more of. But there are also like a lot of other tools out there like uh, Heroku and other like platform as a service uh, hosting options that uh, you can use to get started quickly and relatively cheaply. You know, you can use Terraform, things like that. There's a lot of like cool options out there. And if you're you're trying to get started quickly, then, you know, those can be very useful as well. I was thinking, you know, I'm the most, I'm most comfortable with containers. I don't really know that much about serverless. So I was like, I think it'll be faster for me to get set up with Docker. And then my main concern with serverless was whether or not there would be support for the dependencies that I needed. So like that was the trade-off in in my mind. It was like, okay, so serverless is going to be a lot cheaper, but it's a new technology that I need to learn. And I'm not sure whether or not it's going to be as flexible. Like a Docker container, I know I can put anything on there that I could put on a Linux machine. And with the serverless with these lambdas you 
are much more restricted as to what you can put on them because they have to be able to spin them up in very short notice. Right. right. Like you the idea need- that, you know, if you have a ton of, say, you're using Node and you needed applications built on like GNOME modules, for example, having all that information set up, having all those like third party libraries set up could be a hindrance to your application loading to do the right thing. Which in like, and if you have Docker, you know exactly what you have. You're able to, it's already like spun up and it's going to, it's ready to make those calls. It doesn't have to like turn on and activate to run your function and then shut down when it's done. I think we talked about this before in the previous uh, episode about serverless, where the idea of like a cold start, where the idea that application, that a function may need to load up before actually running if it's been down for too long. And I don't think that you'll have that problem in terms of speed with a docking container that's kind of waiting for those API calls to come in. Yeah, it seems like the solution for the cold start that the community has come up with is to set up a cron job that just hits your function at least once every five minutes. That's wild. Which seems like cheating. Yeah, <laughs> it's kind of <laughs> wild. Like, how long is Amazon going to put up with that? But I don't know, I guess that works. I mean, you're paying them by the function call, so how many how many seconds do you get for free? <laughs> Yeah, I think that if it's like, uh, you know, in language packages, then you're good. But if it's like a C library that you need to shell out to, then that's more complicated. Right. Totally. And I guess I guess also like maybe you, you don't even need to do very much in the way of server-side comp- computation at all. Like, so... You know, maybe you don't need Kubernetes or serverless or Roku or whatever. Maybe you just need like a static file. And that's always an option too. Just put it in S3. Yeah, Do something jam in Jamstack. Because jam <laughs> like, like those rates can be even cheaper. Although like comparing these these things becomes like kind of like a, a weird calculus problem. Like I don't I don't know what the proper math is to compare you know, the S3 bucket cost and like load versus serverless function call and time cost versus Kubernetes pod spinning up, it it becomes pretty complicated. And I guess you just got to like have a sense for what kind of application you're building and what your historical load is going to be and maybe play around with it. I'm curious what the cloud providers would prefer. Like, are they trying to incentivize that people switch to serverless by making it so much cheaper for new projects that are just getting started? Is that, like, part of the roadmap for them? Oh, there's, like, the deep state in AWS land. (laughs) They're pulling the strings. We'll have to interview somebody who works at a cloud platform and find out which is the most profitable service offering for them. <laughs> right. Like NDAs be damned. <laughs> Word. They can go into witness protection. Follow us now on Twitter at Radio Free Rabbit so we can keep the conversation going. Like what you hear? Give us a five-star review and help developers just like you find their way into the rabbit hole. And never miss an episode. Subscribe now however you listen to your favorite podcast. 
On behalf of our producer extraordinaire, William Jeffries, and my amazing co-host, Dave Anderson, and me, your host, Michael Nunez, thanks for listening to The Rabbit Hole. 